welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm David Bax. Tyler Smith is on assignment. Um, and uh, we have a fun episode uh, for you. We've got a guest here. Uh, it's not just going to be me for an hour, um, but I also have some ads to read. So this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent international and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $8.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Right now, Mubi is doing a series called Behind the Viewfinder which features films by three remarkable directors, as well as documentaries about those directors. The directors are Hu Shaoxin, Beilatar, and Jia Zhengqi. I'm not sure if I'm saying the... Uh, never knew how to say the last one. Uh, check out their films Three Times, The Turin Horse, and A Touch of Sin. And there's also a special officer... So, no, I always say officer. There is always... No? And there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Retention. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship to redeem now. And furthermore, there's more this time. If you've been putting off trying Mubi out, now would be the time because it... December, it's December's almost over, but for December, they are offering three months for just a dollar. So if you are hearing this before midnight on New Year's Eve, go to movie.com to redeem the offer. Three months for just a dollar. It's going to be lit. Um, and this, this week's episode is also brought to you by the Dice Enthusiast Presents podcast, a new series uh, based around a board game that four roommates played for the entirety of 2017. During that year, they were faced with problems like drug dealers moving in with them, mental breakdowns, infidelity, and a suicide attempt. And surprisingly pers- a surprisingly personal podcast, Dice Enthusiast Presents is a prime example of life happening while you're making other plans or trying to play a game. Go to DiceEnthusiasts.com or click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com to listen. And finally, I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com earbuds. Tweakedaudio.com earbuds um, are professional quality earbuds uh, that come in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. I use them each and every day. I've been listening to um, just all the best stuff of the, the, the year, including, as always, listening to music by people who passed away this year, like Mac Miller. It sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. Uh, they're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one-third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, I'm going to bring on our guest. He uh, is a writer. He has written a, a book um, on 
uh, Brazilian cinema. It is currently only available in Portuguese, I believe. Um, but, uh, you know, keep your eyes peeled. Um, and here to tell, talk to us today about Brazilian cinema is Lino Moraes. Yes. Uh, hi. How's everyone? This is the randomest uh, event ever because I don't know if you want to get into this. David, <laughs> sure, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been a listener to Battleship Retention. I don't even know how long, like maybe, how long have you guys been on? 11 years, almost yeah. 12 years. It'd be 12 years in March. Almost that long, and um, I, I've been living in Brazil that long, and I've listened, and this is my first time in L.A. I, I mean, I've, I came here, I'm now 36. I came here when I was very young with my family, and I don't remember anything, obviously, and it's changed a lot. And I figured that I would send an email to the folks at Battleship Retention, yeah. because besides talking about movies, you guys talk a lot about the city. Uh-huh. And since I don't know anyone here, I'm here with my, like my, now my family, not my parents, but with my kids and uh, my wife, uh, and we didn't know anyone here. We, f- I figured I'd send an email and, um, well, you guys replied, you guys answered our, our emails. Uh, yeah. I, um, I, <laughs> when people ask me, like when they're coming to town, like, what should I do? I'm always like. Uh, I, I get a little flustered, but I do have some go-tos and I think I gave you kind of all of them. Um, and yeah. then I guess you mentioned this book that you'd written, which is, uh, is called Candango. Yep. Um, uh, and, uh, again, if you are fluent in Portuguese, you can find it and read about Brazilian cinema, but you mentioned the book and I was like, well, you're going to be in town when we have an episode to do. We should definitely talk about Brazilian cinema. What other, uh, what other chance are we going to get to, uh, to, to talk about it with someone who's written a a book on the subject? Now this, this is going to, I mean, possibly echo something you guys said, because I am, I have a degree in film. Uh I, I, that's but it's not my day job, right? I mean, I I do, I write and direct some short films in Brazil every now and then. And I've done this book sort of as a passion project that, but like you guys, I'm, you know, that big cliche, I'm a lover, not an expert. Uh-huh, so sure. while I, I am not the, I'm kind of nervous about getting things wrong about Brazilian cinema here. I don't know if you have a lot of Brazilian <laughs> listeners. Uh, I don't know if we do either, but I mean, um, if you were going to get things wrong, you got already got them wrong in the book. So that's the, right. I'm uh, going to do it in style. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but before we get started on that, I'm very excited to get into that. But, um, we have, this is, we, we have some Christmas presents from listeners that I'm going to open just a couple. Um, these did arrive before Christmas because of our recording schedule. This is the first chance that I've had to, uh, to open. So, uh, our listener and contributor to the, to the website. Um, sometimes Sarah Brinks has once again sent us something. And I definitely should have taken a page out of Tyler's book last week and loosened the, uh, packaging before I did this. But, um, Okay. <laughs> Sarah, you really locked this thing up tight. Um, I'm sure it'll be worth it, though. This is, yeah, okay, so we got a card. Oh, man, this is a good present. This is a good present right here. So first we have a card, which Sarah has once again made herself. These are always very beautiful. Um, and it says, uh, enjoy the treats in the card. So I'm very excited about what sort of treats we're going to get. And I knew it. Cherry Ripes, my favorite. And Tim Tams, a 
old Battle Super Tension classic, and they are, oh, I like to say this is very nice of you to specify that the cherry ripes are for David and the Tim Tams are for Tyler. There wasn't going to be any confusion about that. Tyler, there's no way Tyler's eating something with coconut in it. But um, <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Sarah, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. And then we have something from Todd, just Todd. One name, Todd. Uh, and also there's a card. Let me... Now this card is not handmade, like Sarah's, um, but I'm, it's it's great anyway. Um, uh, and it says enjoy the Tim Tams, so I'm guessing there's Tim Tams in this box. Oh, and once again, there are two separate, two separate sleeves of Tim Tams, making it very easy for Tyler and I to separate these without getting into fistfights. So thank you to Sarah and to Todd. And thank you to Lino for sitting there while I, while I went through that. I'm sure Tyler and I would have stretched it out to a full 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> but I just want to get to the to the topic. Um, and uh, uh, so I, you know, I when we decided like, okay, you're going to come on the show and talk about Brazilian cinema. I was. Uh, looking at, I was like, Oh, you know, I'll have things to, I'll have things to add. Like I've seen a lot of, I feel like I've seen a lot of Brazilian movies, but then I looked up Brazilian movies and I realized I've never seen any Brazilian movie before the 1980s. I think Pichot is the fir- the earliest Brazilian movie that I've ever seen. Yeah. That's around the 8045. Okay. That sounds right. Um, and so, uh, I think I kind of want to go more just chronologically maybe with you uh, or, or at least talk about history more. Um, where does Brazilian cinema start? How do we get to Pichot? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a long and a very, it's not, it's not a strange story. It's very much like here in the U S mm-hmm. because, um, well, I mean, I mean, maybe I should get into like why I wrote this book. Oh again. yeah. Definitely. Cause it's something like, um, something like a intro story. Like, I'm from Brasilia, which is the capital of Brazil and not at all a touristy city. You know, like whenever I travel, people are like, oh, you're from Brazil. Where are you from? Rio, Sao Paulo, stuff like that. Those are the two that I know. Yeah, Yeah. those are the (laughs) two that everybody knows. And I'm like, I'm from Brasilia. And they're like, okay. And I always compliment it with the capital. Uh Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I heard about it. Um, And Brasilia actually has a film festival that started in 1965 and and is still going on to this day. And while we're not famous for like making movies in Brasilia, there's a huge cinematographic culture there, but uh, it's not more famous than Sao Paulo Rio. We always get this thing where uh, it's a huge festival. It's been going on for more than 50 years. Everyone in cinema knows about it and they love it. And everybody comes into town for like a week, 10 days, once a year. Mm -hmm. And then they leave and that's kind of like the end of... Brasilia's relevance to Brazilian cinema in I'm being like in the strictest sense, like the international sense, you uh-huh. know, because we do have a burgeoning, uh, we always have a burgeoning cinema in Brasilia. And, uh, you know, I've been there for, for a long time and I've been going to the festival for years and I'm like, well, you can't just complain about people coming here and leaving and like not, I mean, just spending a week here and talking about movies of this being the center of movies for like a week uh-huh. out of the year. And you can't just complain about it and not do anything about it, you know, not, not spread the word. So this yeah. is why I wanted to to write a book. It started out, I'm actually making a documentary. The book was like an afterthought kind of. Okay. Where me as a burgeoning like filmmaker in Brasilia, I had this kind of 
very good idea. Like maybe I don't know if my project's going to be very good, but the idea is great (laughs) where I wanted to do a documentary about this film festival. But since it's from 1965 onwards, like its story is the same story as, you know, half of Brazilian cinema. And since it's in the country's capital, also Brazilian politics. So by talking about the festival, you, you talk about those two things, uh, those other two things kind of side by side. And since everyone has a lot of love for this festival, I was able to interview, to schedule an interview over four months, mm-hmm. uh, talks with over 70 people invi- uh, involved in Brazilian cinema, from directors from the 1960s to people who are making movies now. And nobody knew who I was. I, mm-hmm. I had like no relevance, but everyone knew the festival and everyone loved the festival. No one's ever asked them about it other than the, you know, that one week a year when they're there. So that, that was my in, let's say, to talk to yeah. a bunch of people. And I spent four months just talking to brilliant people from Brazilian cinema. And that's why I'm making the documentary now. And I published the book first, which is an oral history. It's kind of not erudite at all. It's like uh-huh. based on memories and stories and um, that kind of stuff. So that's how I got into it. And then I, how I got into Brazilian cinema, I've always watched it kind of peripherally during my life. We'll get into why, uh, over okay. the story of Brazilian cinema. But, uh, and then I've, I've gone, I've done a deep dive for like the last three years in its history. And I guess that's why I'm here today. So, um, Rami, I, I can't remember if you said when, what part of the year, uh, what time of year is the festival every year? It used to be in November for a long okay. period, but now it's in September. Okay. Um, and it's a festival famous for, um, how do you say art films or author, author, uh, like film, author yeah. theory films. Okay, you know? yeah, our, our, it's not for yeah. the commercial uh, stuff. So like uh, what movies that I've heard of might've played the festival? I'm not sure, but okay. you know, the, <laughs> uh, Brazilian guy from Pernambuco who did Aquarius. Did you see that yes, movie? I did see Aquarius. Yeah. He started out his, his, okay. like his platform was the Brazilia film festival when he was making short films. Uh, his name is Kleber Mendonça Filho. I always like, think it's kind of silly if I say words in native Portuguese while I'm talking in English. I don't know if you guys like here, you do have a lot with Spanish, like people will just speak English and they'll say a name in the most perfect Spanish. And it sounds kind of <laughs> weird from, from listening. So I, I, I never know if I, cause these, a lot of these names are super complicated and I don't for pronunciation. I don't ever okay. know if I should like do an American accent while saying them or Portuguese. I think the Portuguese is good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Clive Mendonça Filho, he did Aquarius in Cannes a few, a couple of years ago. Uh, he's been there with shorts in Brazil with shorts since the early two thousands. Um, he's probably the most likely person you'd, you'd know. Um, so a couple of the questions I, I want to let you sort of guide where this conversation, uh, goes since you're the one mm-hmm. who's done all the research, but a couple of other questions is which, uh, in terms of, uh, m- mainstream Brazilian cinema, where is the, where is there like Hollywood or Bombay? Is it, is it in Rio or is it in it's, Sao Paulo or it's both it's Rio and Sao okay. Paulo. That's okay. the, that's the most uh, condensed like production places in Brazil. Okay. Um, definitely. And then, uh, I guess my other question is cause obviously Brazil makes a lot of movies. I see multiple Brazilian movies, uh, a year at, at this point. So it's, it's clearly, there's a strong cinema there, but in terms of, and I feel like you kind of hinted at getting to this, uh, what percentage of 
cinema intake among the average Brazilians is Brazilian cinema, or are you watching a lot of other uh, a, a lot of other countries' cinema as well? Well, actually, that's a perfect introduction because okay. that I'm going to get like if we're going to talk about the history of Brazilian cinema, I'm going to get to its its only like its constant. Um, I feel. If we're going to talk about like the history of Brazilian cinema, I'm going to get to like the crux of the question that it, Brazilian cinema always struggles to find a public, okay, a paying public in its own country. Yeah, uh, there have been periods of like a lot of success and periods of lower success, but the periods of high success won't last more than ten years for okay. Brazilian cinema. Okay, of uh, in-house consumption, let's say, of consumption in Brazilian in Brazilian uh, cinemas. Okay. <coughs> Sorry. Um, most of it's yeah. mostly a poor country, right? I mean, people. I'm not, actually. I don't want to say that. I don't say it's mostly a poor country. It's like it's uh, the majority of Brazilian people can't really afford going to the movies twice or three times a week, okay. or or even five times a month. You know, they usually go at most once a month. Okay, because movies are the uh, cinemas. It's expensive here in the U.S., mm-hmm. but it's just as expensive in in Brazil. Okay, so Brasilia, Brazil in general isn't really a um, a cinema going country, which is odd because it's like so invested in pop culture and American pop culture and mm-hmm. everything. It's a big TV country. Okay, people watch TV. Like one of the people I was interviewing is is one of Brazil's biggest producers, uh, Luis Carlos Barreto. And in 2009, he'd released a biopic from uh, the president at the time, who was hugely popular, and it bombed miserably in movie theaters. What was it called? Uh, Lula, the Son of Brazil. Yeah, I saw that. You did? Yeah. Did you like it? I don't uh, really like biopics. Really. Yeah. Dry. <laughs> it's standard biopic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not a favorite. But anyway, and he was talking to me, and, and that movie like bombed miserably in the box office. And then two years later, he said that when they showed it on open TV, like open uh, free TV, more than 20 million people watched it. And he was like kind of existentially talking about that. And I was like, and this guy with a lot of experience was saying this. And I was like, Mr. Barreto, you know, movies are like movie theaters are really expensive now. He probably hasn't paid to go to the movies in a long time (laughs) as he's one of the greatest producers in Brazil. So like makes sense that people watch movies on TV instead of, instead of theaters. So what, um, like say 2018 or 2017, what's the highest grossing Brazilian movie in Brazil? Is it something that I've heard of? Have you heard of Elite Squad? <laughs> I have heard of Elite Squad. That's yeah. probably the second one because the first one was pirated insanely. Like people uh-huh. stole the movie and yeah. everyone in Brazil watched it, a pirate version before I went to theaters. Yeah. But it's probably one of the highest. And Elite Squad 2 definitely is the highest. Okay. But before that, the record was something from the 1980s. Really? Which yeah. was? Uh, probably um, A Dama do Lotação. It's the lady from the bus. It's a okay. softcore porn. Uh, Anyway, there's a, okay. there's a long period of softcore porn movies in theaters with like the best actresses in Brazil and the best actors. That was really, a, yeah. In the eighties and end of the seventies, they were, they were all into the, it's called porno chanchada, which is a, yeah, it's like a low quality porn. It's kind of a derivative name. Yeah. But anyway, we can get to that when we, when we do a short history, a short lesson in, <laughs> yeah, in I do cinema history. To that, but let's go back. Okay. Yeah. I guess you're right. We should go back to. 
the beginning. Um, I don't know where the beginning is. Silent cinema? Is there? Are there yeah, no, it's insane because at the same time, as I say, the Brazilian cinema has always struggled to find its public. It hasn't really struggled to find its voice. They've tried absolutely everything over the last more than a century. Brazilian cinema has tried everything. It's done everything. It's it's uh, started. It has movements every now and then. Mm-hmm. And since in the 1800s, uh, a lot of Brazilian elites were sort of like they valued a lot an European European style education. They'd send kids, you know, to study in Europe. Cinema came like really early. I mean, you have people filming in Brazil in the 1897, wow. 1896. <coughs> one of the most, I can't remember if I saw this in film school, if it's actually mythic, but one of the first uh, things filmed in Brazil is like coming through ship into Guanabara Bay, which is the biggest bay in Rio de Janeiro. And okay. it was done by an Italian cinematographer. So Brazilian cinema started with these at the same time as in Europe and maybe America, like Thomas Edison making those mm-hmm. movies, just like scenes from random, like fixed camera, people walking around like scenes, you know, like the boat docking in yeah. that kind of stuff. And it came into, into like existence following this American and European, European uh, progression, I guess. Mm-hmm. I took some notes. Because I was very nervous. Good. <laughs> I'm not good that you were nervous, but it's good. Because <laughs> yeah, I've just got a Wikipedia list of Brazilian movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I mean, and I was I was doing this research. I was thinking, even thinking about American cinema. Like we change from documentary everyday scenes, like like I was talking about. And one of the first genres of film that are success are crime movies, yeah. which remind me of like the great train robbery, which is a classic here in the States sure. for like, it's a silent, these are all silent films. But, um, it's funny how this fascination with crime and movies comes in different cultures in different countries. So you had, you had musicals like silent musicals where some of the actors would sing from behind the screen, from behind the projection screen. So the images would be, uh, okay be shown and you have the, like the accompanied uh, piano guy in the crowd and the singers from behind the screen then you have fiction and a lot of the fiction started with literary adapta- adaptations a lot of 18th century novels Brazilian novels were quickly like made into silent form and then there's a there's a really famous movie I, I think like the climax of Brazilian silent movies is a film called Limite which means limit Okay, by Mario Peixoto it's like Super hipster to have seen this movie. I saw it in film school. It's three hours long. It's oh wow, tough a tough watch, but it's like one of Martin Scorsese's like most fa- like one of his favorite Brazilian movies of all time. Is this like three hour silent movie masterpiece <coughs> that you you you're glad you get through in the end? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, have you seen? Is it available on disc somewhere? Or? I don't even know. Okay. Uh, so that's Limich by Mary Peixoto. And then after World War One, where or during World War, World War One, where European uh, distribution and stuff like that was very affected, and you know Brazil had a bigger European influence in the beginning, Hollywood takes over. They do a lot of direct investment, like people from the U.S. come into Brazil, right, to set up cinemas and distribute movies. And this is at, this is when after World War like II? around World War One? No, oh, okay. the first one. Okay, because people are already going to the movies in like the beginning of the century. Right, but I guess Which, I know that post World War Two, there was a lot of American investment in 
South America because of the quote unquote good neighbor policy. Yeah. Cause we didn't want you guys to become communists. Yeah. <laughs> but that's later. Yeah. yeah. Th- that's also, that's later. It's reinforced. It's, it's, I mean, American influence in Brazilian film, not in, in the making of Brazilian film, but in their distribution of, of American products in film mm-hmm. has been a lobby since the beginning of the 20th century. It's gone till today. I mean, Carmen Miranda, which is a, a right. Portuguese actress, but she became famous in a Brazilian film. Okay. I mean, people probably heard of it. She had like yeah. that oh, yeah. turban with a lot of fruit on the head. I don't think I knew that she was from Portugal, though. I think I... Yeah, yeah, assumed that she was. Yeah, but she was ahead in, in a Brazilian movie. So, right. Anyway, she was signed by Hollywood right after she, uh, you know, was a hit in Brazil. So, like, there, there's a presence there, and that's the second thing that Brazilian cinema ha- always had as a problem: is foreign competition. Uh-huh. Like, um, people just prefer to watch American movies than because uh, of all the entertainment and all of that. I mean, it's a, it's especially it's one of the main American exports. Right? I mean, I love it. Sure. Yeah. I love movies, so I love the American movies, but uh, I love all kinds of movies. Anyway, so that's uh, that's sort of like a, a pre-silent era kind of picture, right? Okay. And then two studios are, are founded in Brazil, and this is, I think, where the greatest schism is made. One of them is called Veracruz, mm-hmm. and these investors, they wanted to copy the American model. They bought like huge lots. They made warehouses. They wanted to make like really lush pictures. This is like in the beginning of the talkies. Mm-hmm. They had they they'd make movies, but with international crews. So they get like photographers from Italy, screenwriters from screenwriters had to be Brazilian because of the Portuguese, right? But they get actors, all that kind of stuff, and it went belly up after eighteen pictures in five years. Why? Because they ran up a lot of debt, a lot of uh-huh. investment. They wanted to do a lot of like American style movies and they failed because they couldn't get the public to watch enough of these movies. Mm-hmm. And they even, I'm checking my notes here. That's fine. Then, <laughs> in the end of the story, they ended up selling the rights to its last movie to Columbia Pictures. Okay. So it's like, that's funny, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a Brazilian studio making movies in Brazil. And then they're selling the rights to the next movie to Columbia Pictures, who has a presence there yeah. to make uh, to make move to distribute movies. They wanted their their products to be watched, and okay. so they. It's so called, Columbia had the distribution rights in. Yeah, Brazil. they bought the production rights to this oh, okay. Ocangaceiro, which is like the Ocangaceiro is a bandit from the northern lands. Okay. And it was a huge. It was Brazil's first international hit in the in the world, like Brazilian cinema. And, you know, Veracruz missed out on it because it was at the end of its rope and it sold it to Colombia. The second studio was called Atlantis, Atlantis, like Atlantida. And they produced low-budget comedies. They got a bunch of actors who were famous from radio and transplanted into the movies. And it was gigantic. It was like super hit. Everyone in Brazil, even people who haven't seen any of these movies, know two of the actors who were Oscarito and Grande Otelo, okay. which is Big Othello because he was a tiny, tiny African-American <laughs> man. So like, his stage name was Big Othello. <laughs> but for some reason, after 10 years, it kind of fizzled, fizzled out as well. All of this is pre-60s. And then after that, that's when Brazilian cinema became known to the world because you start with Cinema Novo, new cinema. Have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like like the new wave, I guess. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of a mixture of neorealism, Italian neorealism with new wave movies. And basically what these guys said, I think what I think me personally with the floundering of these two studios, people are like, you know what? Forget about this American model of movie making. And like the the cultural intelligence of the time, the people who wanted to make movies, they were like, we need to figure something out that's ours, you know, something that's ours that like Brazil, let's make Brazilian cinema. Let's not copy other people's cinema. And that's when, and it'll come, it'll come into, it'll be repeated later with city of God. This when it, they kind of showed, show themselves to the world mm-hmm. and cinema novo specifically, what they wanted is to make political cinema about people who were, People who were poor, people who were disenfranchised, people who were uh, forgotten by the system. And even a little bit before uh, the Cinema Nova started, there's this guy, he just died this year, uh, Nelson Pereira dos Santos. He's like our uh, uh, Brazilian cinema's, shoot, I don't know, who's it? I wouldn't say D.W. Griffith because Griffith was like, super racist. <laughs> but, uh, he, was, he was making like he was making movies about the opposite kind of people okay. that grew. He is the like the granddad of Brazilian cinema. Okay. Is this guy Nelson Pereira dos Santos, who was like who just died this year, so he was still alive. Because this is all post sixties. All the studio okay. stuff, like this aping Hollywood kind of mentality, was pre sixties. And so, and then Italian neorealism comes into the scene. People would watch it in Brazil and they like a light came out and this like upper middle class guy, Nelson Pereira dos Santos started making movies set and, and kind of like with actors and stories from this privileged uh, parts of town, parts of Rio, like favelas in Rio already in the sixties mm-hmm. and telling stories focused on those kinds of, of characters. He was searching for like, he really liked Italian neorealism basically. And his, his first movies are basically in the same style. I wouldn't, I may be like, people might hate me for it or say, I wouldn't say that in his first movies he had invent like he was in cinema novo. I think he was just making Italian neorealist movies in Brazil. Okay. So you had stuff like Rio, uh, Zona Norte, which is the North zone of Brazil is a, is a poor part of town. Then uh, Zona Sul, Zona Sul is the well-off part of town. And uh, eventually he got to Vida Secas, which is means dry lives. And it's a huge like Brazilian literary classic. Okay. What year is this? this, this is uh, Vida Secas, dry lives is probably 63. Okay. 62, 63. It gets worldwide distribution, goes to film festivals. It's about a family uh, trying to survive in, a, in a Brazil's northeastern region. It's its poorest region. Uh, a lot of agricultural and subsistence farming there is affected by year like yearly droughts, so people are like really in, in trouble there and to get to eat, get stuff to eat and everything and everything. It sounds so uh, heavily <laughs> so like people have a hard time surviving there. Basically, is what I'm saying. And uh, this book and later the movie it follows the family. It's uh, the parents, the kids, and a dog. Uh, and one of the most beautiful passages in the book and also the movie is spoiler here for a movie that's 63, but eventually the family has decided to kill and eat its dog. Wow. So that's the kind of, so yeah, that's the kind of Italian realism we're talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. 
But, um, and that exploded, like, and then after that, I think the Cinema Novo comes out when you get other directors who joined the Italian Neuralism fascinations with the new wave mechanics, kind of. Okay. Okay. So, um, what was the name of the director of, uh, of Dry Lives? Nelson Pereira dos Santos. Okay. Uh, the grandfather of Brazilian, right. the holy man of Brazilian cinema. But... But you're saying his stuff is not not truly Cinema Novo, or at least not his early. Oh, no, stuff? He, not his early. I don't think so. I see. People okay. might hate me for it, but he. I mean, he was producing movies up till the '90s, 2000s. He's always making movies. So okay. I don't think his for. I think his first few movies are like purely neorealist. Okay, but I, but, I, I, but then yeah, he did. He got together with you know a gang was formed. Like these guys would hang out in Rio every night at the bars. Yeah, you know, so with this is a like bunch the, of directors after that. You've got the this is with the French Nelson, New Wave. You've got like Godard, Truffaut, yeah. and Agnes Varda, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's also a group. Then you're saying of directors people think of when they think of Cinema Novo. And yes, this guy is one of them. Nelson, yeah, I can't remember the name. He, he was he was like their he was older than them. He was their okay. their spiritual guy. He's he's the one who brought Brazilian cinema, I think, to the world. Okay, pretty much with his movies. He started doing the festival circuit in the sixties. Okay, and so in the sixties you get you get Cinema Novo, and then in mid sixties is when the fe- the festival in Brasilia begins. Exactly, that's when uh, you know Brasilia is. It's I mean it's another podcast. It's a city built in nineteen sixty. Really, from this insane like there was always talk for centuries of in Brazil. The capital was Rio, which is in the coast, and there's always been this like talk for hundreds of years about moving the capital inland to to sort of get development in, in the interior of Brazil. Mm-hmm. And in 1960, they finally like opened the city there that was planned, like pre-planned, completely pre-planned, uh, architecturally, structurally. Everyone knows Brasilia because of Oscar Niemeyer, the architect who, who designed all of its public buildings okay. pretty much. And uh, it was sort of a utopia. People wanted a utopia there. They they brought like their best intellectuals to the University of Brasilia. The, the first one's like, and Nelson Pereira dos Santos, already established as a filmmaker, was the head of its film school. Okay, a school that still persists today. So people there are talking about movies, and they're talking about like how wonderful Brazilian cinema is now. And basically, in 1964, 1963. They start planning a Brazilian a Brazilian film festival that's only Brazilian movies. Mm-hmm. That's something it's the Brazilian Film Festival has maintained until today. Oh, okay. It's competitive, uh, like rank is just Brazilian movies. Okay. You might get a little par- some parallel uh, showings of mostly Latin American movies. Okay. But those aren't. But the only ones in frame. competition in competition are, are okay. Brazilian movies, and or movies shot in Brazil and with in mostly Portuguese language. Okay. Might be. Anyway, but um, but uh, that's a little ahead because you still have Cinema Novo before that, which is like a bunch of twenty somethings in Rio making movies. You have Galber Rocha, who did uh, God and the Devil in the in the Land of the Sun. Have you heard about that movie? No, that's a great movie. Okay, All I did. Th- I did think of a pre-Pichot Brazilian movie that I've seen. Okay, in. Film school, I took a class on Latin American cinema and I saw a movie that I think is called Chica da Silva. 
Chica da Silva yeah. it won the Brasilia Film Festival in the okay. 60s or 70s, 76. 76. 76. Yeah. It won the Brasilia Film Festival. Yeah. Okay. So I just, I, I, I was, yeah. I, I, I thought of, I was like, I knew I've seen something since before. Yeah. That movie almost got everyone that made it kind of uh, get beaten up. For, because uh, it's racist? No. Oh, okay. That's how I felt about it. Kind of. Yeah. But not, not exactly. Uh-huh. Because the slaves in the movie are kind of happy. I okay, yeah. That that in that sense, yeah. So. I saw. So it's it's a true story about a female slave yeah. who sort of rose up through society. And I felt when I saw it that it kind of uh, reduced her to sort of like I think harmful, sort of animalistic type of exoticized. Yeah, views of like a, what a black woman it, with the dancing, and yeah, the nude and, dancing. You're thinking about the nude yes, dancing. Yes, I'm thinking about the nude dancing, <laughs> but just in general, uh, the way that she's like has this sort of mystical ability to seduce people seemed kind of othering, I guess. But uh, yep. yeah, in general, yeah, it ha- and also because the slaves in the movie are happy, happy. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, I mean, just to I mean to state it kind of simply, yeah. But we will also talk about that why that about why that happened after Cinema Nova because okay. I'll tell you. So you have films. Well, first of all, you have the one of the most famous artistic directors of Brazilian cinema, like auteurs of Brazilian cinema, which is Glauber Rocha. Okay, and his he was like vociferous. He's the Wellesian Orson Wellesian figure of Brazilian okay. cinema. Boy genius made like two incredible movies when he was in his twenties. He made Barra Vento and the one I told you about, uh, uh, God and the Devil in the Land of the Sun. When best director at Cannes okay. in '64, I'm not sure. Maybe '60. Yeah, probably '64. Boy genius. Um, much has been written about him. He died in his 40s from a heart attack way too early. Died too soon in the '80s, and uh, kind of a uh, like a fable figure. Kind of like a. Kind of like a mythical, he's kind of a mythic figure in cinema because of like some of his zaniness, I guess. He was completely uh, politicized. He hated foreign influence in culture. So he he wanted to create something called the, the hunger aesthetic. He wanted Brazilian movies to follow that hunger aesthetic, which is like about people being polit. Like all films are political. Films are about people who are suffering, like kind of suffering. Mm-hmm. And with each subsequent movie, he let go of like film grammar more and more. Okay. So like by the end, his films are like so dense, like so so strange to watch you know what i mean i i don't even know how to describe it. like if there's yeah. a comparable like did you watch the other side of the wind uh not yet actually <laughs> okay it's <laughs> I like know i should yeah it's I mean, and that's a whole other discussion let's not get into it yeah but uh his movies start getting a little abstract he wants to divorce himself more and more from narrative and um and he'd also accuse like everyone of being CIA agents and like, you know, like CIA infiltration in Brazil. He'd, uh, he'd, he'd fight with everyone and he'd be best friends with everyone all the time. Uh, he, he'd get a harder and harder time in getting money to finance his movies. And eventually, I mean, this, he was his movie genius. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Glauber Rocha. Glauber Rocha. He had a mantra, which I don't know if he said a lot, but it became his most famous, his most famous sentence, 
which is that cinema is a camera in your hand and an idea in your head. That's it. That's all you needed to make movies. And people, like, still today are divided. Like, they debate that sentence as in, is there really? I mean, no, you need so much more to make a movie. But then, <laughs> but that's the purity of it. That's all you need, you know? And with the digital now, more than ever, you just need a camera in your hand, an idea in your head, and you'll make a movie. Anyway. I like that idea. Yeah, it's Personally. pretty poetic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty awesome. He was, a, he was a, I mean, I didn't know him or anything. Anyway. So Sinan Novo has Glauber Rocha, Nelson Pereira dos Santos, Leon Hersman, Kaká Diegues, which made, which made, who made uh, Chica da Silva. Okay. Starts out in the 60s making a movie about a slave revolt. Okay. Um, so he's, got, he's got a whole milieu that he likes to work in there. Yeah. About yeah. slaves. Okay. Uh, Rui Guerra, a Mozambican director, okay. and in Mozambique they speak Portuguese, so he studied in Lisbon, then he went to make movies in Brazil, because no one funded his movies. Uh-huh. He, like, his first movie was funded in Brazil, I don't even know how. I got to interview him, it's a great legend, Rui Guerra. Uh, and then, this is, this is what I want to talk about when I talk about um, <coughs> like the main forces in Brazilian cinema. Cinema Novo is like this huge politicization, right, of cinema. Like you want you want your movies to have a social economic point, and there's this one crazy guy, a comedian, Domingos Oliveira, who I love. He's made one of my, who makes in like 1966 with Cinema Novo techniques a romantic comedy about middle class people in Rio. Everyone hates him. They shun them. They have this like <laughs> you know arrogant uh, like we're doing political cinema. Get the fuck away from us kind of thing that's and then he also made one of my favorite movies yeah, one of my favorite comedies All the Women in the World who's about it and like while all his colleagues are making movies about people you know trying to survive hunger uh-huh. he makes a movie about this like ladies man in Rio who meets a girl who he falls in love with but he never knows if he wants to commit to her or not uh-huh. and it's huge I mean everyone watches his movies it's huge and they all get like super angry at him they're like <laughs> what the fuck anyway and that's what I mean, but you can make movies about the middle class that are also political, right? Uh, well, all movies are political, right? Yeah. I mean, what are you talking about? You guys were talking about that last, yeah. in the last... Uh, yeah, yeah, recent all, episode. Yeah. Art is uh, political. Uh, yeah. That's something I subscribe to, even when it's, you know, blockbuster or something. There's just no way around that, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's in that, like, explosion of Brazilian cinema that the festival begins... And then what happens? In, so they're planning it from 1964 on. There's this teacher at the university called Paulo Emilio Salles Gomes, which is Brazil's one of Brazil's greatest uh, cinema theoreticians ever. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't. He wrote a couple scripts because you know these guys. They're right, like Truffaut. Uh, these are the guys that worked out, right? But like all the film theorists, you know, they really just want, they kind of want to make movies too, you know. Side, he wrote a few scripts, but didn't take. And uh, mainly he was a critic and thinker and advocate of Brazilian cinema. Paulo Emilio Salles Gomes, his fam- most famous sentence is that the worst Brazilian movie is better than the best foreign movie, which is. Debatable as well. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's but uh, you know this this is his yeah. this is his viewpoint. I mean, he's a champion of Brazilian cinema. And uh, what happens? They're playing Brazil is a is a utopia. They have this great college. They're going to start the movie the they're starting planning a, a movie festival in 1964. What happens? Dictatorship, Brazilian dictatorship in 1964. Army thinks of the next. 
president is raging, a raging communist, which Mm -hmm. is not the case. Pretty much everyone thinks now was not the case. And they're terrified of a communist revolve, a communist government in Brazil. I'm also being very basic here. Because this is a film college we're not going to talk about. And there is a coup d'etat in Brazil and a dictatorship that'll last for more than 20 years is is takes effect and uh as many i was surprised that many of the people that i interviewed about this period were like that was still like dictatorship light okay because it was a it was a military government okay but then in 1969 that's when they dissolved congress suspended habeas corpus that was like the coup within the coup a lot of people described it to me that's when it got real you know to paraphrase Bad boys, she gets. Uh, please cut that. It's embarrassing. Shit just got real. Yeah, but it, I mean, yeah, people like died and were tortured. And I won't make light of that. Anyway, so in 1969, a bunch of artists run away. People were like carrying cans of film with them. Okay, when they were when they were leaving Brazil, and we get into the government censorship of art. Art is still produced in Brazil. It is um, has to be okayed by the government for public consumption after it's done. One of the reasons why Chica da Silva gets an okay in 1976 is probably because everyone in the film is happy. Yeah, it does not have a, a message of it's not uh, critical. Yeah, yeah, it has a, does not have a message of criticism or of um, subversiveness. And um, anyway, that's the. So that goes from 1969 to... 1989. To 1989. 1989. So that's interesting, then. So then... Uh, and there's so many... I mean, there's so many contradictions in that because... Oh, shit, that's not the time I should... Anyway. Ah, you can jump around. I get kind of nervous, you yeah. No, yeah, you can jump around. But like, I, I guess I'm... It seems that that censorship must have... I don't know if it was relaxed or if, or if, or if the artist found ways around it because something like Pichot seems like it is critical and it is political like these cinema novo films uh so how does something like that get made there was a huge benefit for uh filmmakers back then Mm -hmm. that um like government censors didn't pretty much understand their art okay so like you try to you know subtext was there's also there's always a chance of subtext getting left in to the movies and direct text getting taken out uh there are techniques much like when people get are going after an r rating here in the states well you have will you include in the movie a lot of x-rated stuff that you're not expecting to keep but when the censor says you can't yeah. take this okay and then when you take that stuff out other stuff gets left into them in the movie right because of sense. that contrast yeah so i mean it's 20 years you know people are like constantly working in that a lot a lot of them didn't even come back until later um, so there's those, you survive, like Brazilian mm-hmm. cinema survived. And there's a huge contradiction in here because the, the Brazilian government, it's di- like military government dictatorship wanted to build a country that was the best at everything. Mm-hmm. And so they would like build industrial parks. They'd invest in industry. So Brazil would be like one of the top producers of whatever in the world. And they even did that in movies. They opened a, a Brazilian like film company that would fund Brazilian movies because they wanted Brazilian movies to be the best, of course, with mm-hmm. a lot of censorship. 
So there's a lot of government movies, uh, government money in movies during the dictatorship. And it was the period from the 70s and 80s where Brazilian cinema was most watched by a Brazilian public. By the 80s, it had, it had kind of swerved into like softcore porn, uh-huh. like we were talking about. Yeah. But um, you know, 70s are so rich, like the end of the 60s and 70s, all this like mostly subtext cinema as well exists where, you know, censors just weren't, weren't figuring out. I was talking to Rui Guerra, the Mozambican director, and they have to go to the Ministry of Justice all the time because they had to like their movies were censored. Mm-hmm. Then they have to go talk to the censors and like try to convince them to show a movie. And there was like the stenographer for one of these sessions. So we yeah, this like giant is telling me that when they were he was taking a break from talking to the censor, the stenographer was like, oh, "I love this. I'm learning so much about our history." <laughs> like, while he was typing the, the yeah. discussion, you know what I mean? So it's it's insane. Like Brazil is is an insane country. And then what happens? So Brazilian cinema is a huge boom. Television stars get into the movie business. There are pretty much like three three styles in like late seventies or eighties. There's the you know the state sanctioned movies, soft corn skin soft corn soft core skin flicks, and a big children's market where like. Movies for children started being, make, being yeah. made in Brazil, and those were fine because there was like no, no censorship for children's movies because they were just you know they were for kids. So right, there was there really wasn't any content. So like a bunch of TV, <coughs> sorry, no problem. So like a bunch of TV stars who'd make programs for kids started making movies in the eighties. Shusha is the most famous one. I don't know if you heard of her, but uh, we all remember going to the movies to watch Shusha movies which is kind of sad, but (laughs) so that was huge. There was a huge boom. But then one of the reasons Brazil like stepped out of dictatorship, why they gave up Brazil's dictatorship was given up by the military. Essentially one of the, one of the reasons our economy was really crappy, hyperinflation by the end of the eighties, super hyperinflation. Once again, for like brevity's sake, the military just gave up on ruling Brazil. Okay. And they turned it. I mean, in 1999, we had our first, uh, um, like, people's vote or democratic vote, like people were voting. And as soon as that government took office, they extinguished Embrafilm, which was the the money, the money maker for Brazilian cinema. They okay. like uh, movie directors would present their projects there. They get the project approved. They get the money to make their movie, and they make their movie. That was like done mostly to save money because of hyperinflation. And so, like Brazilian cinema was done again. Like no one had movie. Like everyone, people were crying because they had like their plans approved to make a movie, and it was just like overnight shut. No, you don't get any more funding for your movie. Okay, what year was this? Uh, his the election was nineteen eighty nine. So okay. in nineteen ninety, when the government took uh, okay. took charge. And a lot of stuff that was contracted then people couldn't pay for in their movies. So there are people who are still like owe money for those movies because mm-hmm. because they never got the government money to pay for someone who had started pre-production, for example. That was like insane. And then after that, Brazilian cinema kind of started walking with its own legs. And uh, there's a period called the retomada, which is the retaking, which is when they like 
reinitialized, super like low budget movies, um, television stars making movies. The people at the Brazilian Film Fest in like 92, 93, they had to knock on doors looking for movies that could uh, make up a slate. Like if you had a movie really? in 1992, 93, 94, if you had a movie in Portuguese done, you were like automatically included in the in the Brazilian International in the Brazilian National Film Festival because there just weren't any movies around. Production went from like high 80s to two movies from one year to the next. Okay. Um And then we sort of got the, um, then a new government took over after that one. That president was impeached for unrelated issues. And a new government took over. And they started sort of like doing indirect funding for movies, which is, it is state money, but it's money that didn't go to the state because now private companies, if they, if they donate money to movie projects, to cultural projects, uh, they can take that amount out of their um, what do you call it when you pay taxes like every year when you're income tax okay, yeah. like company income yeah. tax it's like a donation it's like a philanthropy thing so like you know people who are trying to make movies or other cultural endeavors they they submit their project to the government they get a seal of approval and they're off to get funding from private people but that money would have gone to the government through through income income tax pretty much So they started rebuilding and rebuilding. People are like crazily trying to find funding for their movies. And then the big hit was City of God, which was, I think, pretty much all uh, personally funded by by Fernando Meirelles, the director okay. and producer. Um, He, but you're skipping over Central Station, which is a really good movie. Yes. And uh, by a director who That's, now makes movies in yeah. America, right? Yeah. Made um, the... Dark Water is Walter Sayas. Walter Salas. Salas, right? Um, he made Dark Water. Did he leave his name on it? I don't remember if he left his name on it. Uh, yeah, no, he directed that's another, the Dark Water remake yeah, yeah. with Jennifer Connelly. Uh, I thought he and, took his name out of that one because um, that's another thing we we can talk about a little later. Okay, uh, and he did on uh, he, he did, did the on, the on the road. road. Yeah, movie. Uh, 1997. That's the period of the Hitomada. That's when we like started making movies. Uh-huh. But that's like the culmination in like 1997 of Central Station that's something that started in like 1991 okay. people trying to make movies and in the government and that government after 92 doing those indirect funding laws okay um, but I guess I just didn't want to I didn't want to skip oh, yeah, uh, sure. Central Station because um, Americans especially American like film lovers know that movie because it was nominated for more than one Oscar yep. uh, here for both foreign language and for best actress, right? For, um, yeah. Uh, Fernanda Montenegro. Fernanda Montenegro. Um, yeah. She uh, so won best in actress in the first Brasilia film festival. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. In 1965. Wow. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, well, I know, yeah, I'm sure listeners are excited to get to city of God because that's, yeah, I think to a lot of people, especially our age, um, who are, who are film lovers in, mm. in the States, you say Brazilian cinema, they think of, City of God first because it was a an enormous hit. Yeah, it was an enormous worldwide hit. It is a great movie. It's one of the best Brazilian movies. Mm-hmm. It was so famous that it launched a genre called the favela movie, which means that like by 2008 you're getting Romeo and Juliet in the favela. It's like everything is fa- is a movie set in the favela. Yeah, right is- after. Oh no, never mind. Never mind. That's a prison. I was thinking of Kiran Diru, but that's a prison movie, right? Um, 
So is that, that that's not that's part a of this? Before. Uh, oh, Kieran Dura is, be- is before City of God. I think so. I think it might. It might it's not. Actor Babenko who made yes, uh, who, who made Spider Woman yes. and Bishotti. Uh, um, yeah. Um, I mean, the I lead actor Kieran Dura came out in the U.S. after City of God, maybe because of the because City of God was such a big hit. Maybe yeah. people were like, "Hey, we've got this sort of like." crime-centric or mm. crime-related to prison movie, but it's... Uh, Which is another crux of Brazilian movies that they, that they like, always debate. It's these movies who have, that have poverty as a setting. Yeah. That's... And there's a little bit of resentment because that's the movies that the international market wants from Brazil. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, the international market and the film festivals, they want movies about people suffering kind of, it's not misery porn because that's not what they what these movies are right but I, I get I, I think the audience for Brazilian movies or for foreign movies in general in America is often liberal mm-hmm. and probably a little bit privileged and so I think there is probably a sense of like oh I'm I'm doing a good deed. I'm educating myself by seeing these Brazilian movies or whatever country, but in this case, Brazilian mm-hmm. movies about people struggling in this, uh, less developed part of the world than where I live in, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think there's, the truth is there's probably more of a market for yeah, those things foreign, too. especially. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of always been the case actually, which is one of the reasons why, you know, Brazilian cinema, something other than that doesn't get a, uh, shake at the box office kind of and so these days now after the success of City of God Brazilian cinema is kind of like <coughs> it survived uh-huh. it's gone through every kind of difficulty imaginable uh, financing now is kind of solidified people get financed from institutions and these institutions get like tax rebates for financing but still Brazilian cinema doesn't have its public doesn't have a public to watch it and it's kind of caused a schism between now this is me talking my criticism Brazilian movies are either made for like the lowest common denominator of viewer which is basically like comedies TV comedies with TV stars or movies that are purely for the festival circuit festivals in Brazil and festivals outside Brazil so you'll get like super artsy movies or super like commercial movies and this and you know the schism keeps getting wider i think so that's just like to good to a recent example you mentioned earlier aquarius not a big hit in brazil i take it it might have been a small hit just because of the of the international like prominence of it that it achieved but like our last, I was doing some research today before getting here, and the last great year of Brazilian cinema was 2013, where eight movies had more than a million spectators each. Okay. Which is nothing. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, out of like more than 150 Brazilian movies made, eight movies got more than one million spectators. Um. And these are the and are these movies other than Elite Squad? Are those movies were they distributed in the states? Probably not. Okay. Probably not. Yeah, they're probably like comedies and stuff like that. Let me just check on my notes here. Okay. 
I'm going. I'm just going through lists of uh, Brazilian movies from the 2000s that I've seen, reminding myself of some things that I had forgotten I'd seen, like the year my parents went on vacation and Madame Sata. Madame Santa, yeah, that's good. Madame yeah. Satin, uh, but a transvestite in Brazil. That's yeah, a really yeah. good movie. I think that's and the year my parents went on vacation is a, dict- a movie about a dictatorship yeah. about our dictatorship period. Um, like right now, we have a little more than two thousand movie screens in Brazil, which is tiny yeah. compared to like more than two hundred million people living there. Okay, and in seventies, how, how much does a movie ticket cost? Uh, in American dollars, what would you? Is it the same? Is it? Is it twelve uh, like, bucks? Is it, it'll be like twelve bucks in Brazilian currency. Right. Right now, it's like well, because our currency did really badly in the last few years, okay. so it's going to be like three dollars, four dollars. But okay. But that's if you're an American going right. going to movies there. If you're getting them paid in dollars and then going to the movies there, there it's like yeah, it's pretty much twelve to fifteen bucks okay. for someone who gets paid in them. Brazilian currency. Okay, yeah. So I'm looking at um, yeah. I, right now I'm looking at the highest grossing Brazilian films of 2011, and I have not heard of any of these. Shoot some Provar, Sex Salada. comedy. Com. Sex comedy. Bruna Surfistina. About a whore. <laughs> uh, it's about it's it's about a Bruna Surfistina is about a prostitute who got really famous because she kept a blog on her clients without naming them, so she okay. like. Uh, Assault so on Banco Central. Action That's a movie. crime movie, uh, kind of action. Uh, oh, Pelhaso, Pelha- the clown. It's a feel-good movie. Uh, anyway, this this is just the type. <coughs> That's that's really fascinating. I hadn't really thought about that um, that divide you're talking about. That the movies that I'm seeing as an American cinephile are not like the Brazilian movies I'm seeing are not necessarily the big hits. They didn't like, you know. The movies that knock down the, the. I mean, you're probably going to get here the most the more successful art house movies. Yeah, because art house movies are the. I mean, a Brazilian sex comedy is going to be very like the humor is going to be really specific. Okay. you know what I mean. It's not going to export that well, so you're probably just going to get the auteur fair, which is great. I mean, I love Brazilian auteur cinema is huge, and I think that uh, right now it's it's um, it's a really good stage for Brazilian auteur cinema. Because I think people are making films so varied that they can't be like really classified in just one, one as one trend, mm-hmm. which they could have for a long time in Brazil. So that's pretty rich. Um, let me think what else I, I want to see about right now. Yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, what would you would you say that Brazilian cinema is in a good place, or would you like to see something bridge that divide between? the the populist fair and the art house a tourist fair well it's it's in a it's in a great place production wise though we don't okay. know about next year because we have a we had a newly elected super conservative government That's right that might that. slash uh, culture financing okay so I think it's a high probability so we don't know about that but it's Brazilian cinema is great right now in the production in the production side in the consumption side no. Absolutely not. It has never been great. Or it's never been great for a period more than like five to ten years. They just don't watch it. But they'll watch it on TV. Which is good. Um, so who, uh, uh, who should we be keeping an eye on in terms of uh, um, 
Brazilian oh, shoot. Let's talk right about now. Here's the thing about Brazilian cinema. There's no money in it. Uh-huh. So if you're going to make an, a movie in Brazil, you're going to be the director, the writer, and the producer. Because there's no industry. Like, the Brazilian film industry is crew members. Because you know, okay. there's always filming going out for TV. Most of the people who work in Brazilian cinema... They make money either making publicity, you know, like marketing, making commercials or institutional videos for uh, institutions and government institutions. Okay. Or they, their money comes from somewhere else. Like Walter Sades, his family is one of the richest in Brazil. Okay. Um, They're a historical family of bankers. So if you're going to make a movie in Brazil, you're going to be its writer, producer, and director, and you're going to spend 10 years getting money for your movie to be made. Yeah. There isn't this like, Oh, it's now it's starting to get mostly for TV where you're hiring screenwriters. You know, there's like a screenwriter category as like a, uh, what do you call it as a job? Okay. Um, you're hiring a producer, you're hiring a director mostly for TV now. But if you want to talk about just movies, it's still going to be like, you're going to struggle to get a movie every single time. So you're going to be the one who does everything pretty much. And so when these guys have a hit, and the U.S. comes calling. I mean, they can make a movie without worrying about money. They just love it. They love it, and they'll come. Right. So all of these really successful guys have come over to the states, and they've done. They've kind of been smashed by the studio system because they're kind of used to like since in Brazil they're making their movies. Mm-hmm. They have like pretty much free creative control, and here the movies they're making aren't theirs. It's yeah. like a studios. So who's an, an example? Jose Padilla with the new RoboCop. Yeah, which was not, not a good movie. <laughs> I thought it was the first half of an interesting movie, but okay. the second was awful. Anyway, he, I mean, he there was a famous quote that, le- I don't know if it leaked or if he said it, he's like, out of 10 ideas we have, they shut down nine. The studio shuts down nine. There's, uh, I remember another case, well, Walter Salis, I wasn't sure if he left his movie on in Black, if he left his name on Blackwater or Darkwater. if he, Darkwater, if he, Alan Smithy did. I'm not yeah, sure. I, I definitely knew it was him when I saw it. Um, yeah. And I aim to be just as uh, Walter Sellers. Yeah, doesn't. so he did. And there's another guy, Eitor Dahlia, who made a terrible movie called Gone. He's a great director. Made a terrible movie called Gone with Amanda Seyfried. I don't even remember who else is in the movie. I watched that movie. 2012, Amanda Seyfried, Jennifer Carpenter, Wes Bentley. And his name is... Heitor Dahlia, yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, they'll jump at the chance to make like their first American movie, but then when they get, they get like their names slaughtered because of, because the movie wasn't theirs and it's right. Basic like studio, studio fare. They get kind of depressed and they either like Walter Sades is pretty much a European filmmaker. Okay. Like, Brazilian movies with like all his financing comes from Europe. He's not in the studios, like American studios. I was going to ask about European because, um, two movies from 2017, um, Gabriel and the mountain, which I think is, I saw it as it it was being pushed as a French film. Really? That's funny. It was part, they do a, a, um, a, um, festival every year here in Los Angeles called city of light city of angels in which Mm -hmm. they premiere new French movies that haven't yet played, haven't yet premiered, premiere for a week uh, here in Los Angeles. Um, and Gabriel in the Mountain was, uh, mm. I think because of French financing, I guess they were like, yeah. we're going to call this a French movie. It's a great movie. Uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. I watched it. Uh, and then another movie that last year 
that I think I may be one of a dozen people in the United States who saw, but it's called the movie of my life. Do you know this movie? It's a Brazilian movie, uh, written and directed by and co-starring. Did you like it? Uh, yes. Uh, Selton Mello. Is yeah. That you say his name? He did. Yeah. But it also has Vincent Cassell, a French Vincent actor Cassell. in a, in one of the major. Vincent Cassell of, loves Brazil. He wants uh, to be, he's in like a hundred Brazilian movies. Oh, is that he right? speaks okay. Portuguese. Okay. So is that, it's I, really I funny. didn't know if the, if the movie of my life had like French funding or, or oh, something. Yeah, probably yeah. most definitely. Um, you didn't like it. I thought it was happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought it was when I thought it was a nostalgia, but like, you know, I'm a film critic. You guys are film critics. It feels kind of bad to bad talk movies. Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, all the people that worked on it and it's, it's, it makes me really uncomfortable by doing anyway. Cause that's film criticism. Yeah, that's I mean, don't talk badly about every movie. Yeah. But yeah, I thought it was sappy. I didn't want to. It was yeah. like this nostalgia. It's definitely nostalgic. And I, it's, I, it's com- I mean, it's sepia toned throughout. But there's something, you know, when if you're being nostalgic, you're going to be wistful. And so I, I, yeah. I kind of felt that there was something poignant about the way that it captured. I didn't think that it was disingenuous in its sappiness. Mm-hmm. I felt that it was honest. Uh, and I thought it was a pretty good movie. Yeah, it was good. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> but it literally played for like one week in Los Angeles. And I don't even yeah. know where. No, I mean, nobody it. watched it in Brazil because it's not a popular comedy. So, okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, what do, what, are there any movies? Uh, let's see. What played at the Brasilia Festival this year? That uh, is no, there anything I, that might might break through the or uh, you know across the border? No, probably not. No, Brasilia. It's kind of one of the film festival things about uh, Brasilia this year too. It's since it since it's been around for so long. It's kind of like one of the greats in Brazil. And, uh, but now there's like over 300 film festivals in Brazil. Why? Cause a lot of movies only get played in film festivals. Right. They're not going to get screen screen time in commercial screens. So there's, there's kind of a film festival industry in Brazil, which sounds kind of weird, but uh-huh. it exists so that, I mean, we make more than a hundred movies a year and like not even 10% of those get commercial unless it's like one art house cinema in Rio or Sao Paulo. Yeah. They don't get like widespread. So <clears throat> all they do is circulate for a year in film festivals and then they're done. They go to like TV um, for uh, video on demand or okay. okay. Open television. Uh, well, yeah, I was hoping you could give us some inside scoop on something that's coming down the pike in terms of Brazilian <sighs> movies, but uh, I don't. And like, well, you guys love the Oscars. You guys talk about the Oscars so much on this podcast. Uh-huh. And I want, that's like my only beef with Battleship Retention. It's like, with a name like that, how can you guys talk about the Oscars so much? It's awful. Uh, but uh, it's, I mean, it's, I, we don't have, it doesn't mean we have a lot of respect for the Oscars. I but know. It is, it's a domineering force in American cinema. So it's something yeah. that I think is, to ignore it would be, uh, irresponsible, I think, to talk about it, talk about movies here and ignore the effect of the Academy and the Oscars in particular. Uh, but I, we also, I'm not fooling myself that they actually yeah. mean anything. In fact, well, I, I mean, talk about how um, the whatever movie each country nominates to be their yeah exactly. their submission is probably not the best movie that that country made it's usually not what is the brazilian uh submission this year do you know it didn't get through it was a uh, bingo it was uh, it was a uh, you remember bozo the clown uh-huh 
Bozo the Clown was huge in Brazil. Okay. Because he, he's American, right? And it's a biopic about the guy who did it in Brazil. Like the Americans came to Brazil uh-huh. and they interviewed people to be a Bozo. Uh-huh. And so the one guy won and he was in Brazilian television for years. And oh, it was okay. a, it's a, his biopic, okay. which is very well filmed. It's, it's a good movie. It's a biopic you can actually watch. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's, you kind of get like, I, I joked about it cause it's name is bingo and you uh-huh. can, you can kind of like play bingo with like the biopic, <laughs> the artistic <laughs> biopic, uh, yeah. uh, scenes, right. You know, yeah. like the guy's going to, oh, his nose is going to bleed while he's working. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to be like, he's going to go in a drunken stupor and end up in the hospital. Bingo. Oh, he's going to get fired from his job. Bingo. Oh, yeah. he's a clown and no one knows his identity. So he's going to storm a place and be like, I'm the bingo and no one will believe him. Okay. <laughs> so it was like, kind of like one of those. See, I was thinking about, uh, uh, there was, when I, when I was a kid, there was a kid's movie about a dog mm. called Bingo. Uh, I can picture the cover of the VHS as like a dog with sunglasses on. Uh, it's a corny, corny. I movie. can picture that picture oddly. I don't know where, but I mean, it was Bozo the Clown, but they couldn't use the name because it was because of the okay. trademark, so they named him Bingo. But it didn't get through the short list. I'm well, going and well, well, when I was uh, down talking the Oscars, it's like I wrote an article once that got some tread because it was like I always think the best of cinema isn't at the Oscars. It's at the, uh, film festivals. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. You know, you have this European Trinity, which is Cannes, Venice and Berlin. Uh, and then in Brazil, you have the film festivals too, mostly for national movies. I, I always watch the ones that win. And, uh, I don't know where I was getting with that, but uh, anyway, that was my counter, <laughs> but the film festivals but, uh, are better than the Oscars. <laughs> film festivals are better than the Oscars, <laughs> but it's, I mean, it, it, there's, also- no, I, I used to watch the Oscars a lot. Um, and then, uh, I just got kind of lazy about watching it. The Oscars are good for one thing. Like these awards, cause I mean, you're, you're awarding art, right? So it's like so subjective. It's kind of ridiculous, Yeah. but there's a reason why it's good. Cause it, it means that the people who win it, have a easier time making their next project more, uh, in a freer mode, you know, yeah. like they can, they'll have more final cut of their next project. So that's, that's like what, that's what I like about these award shows. It's like, Oh, you can see someone win. Like you see a director win and you're like, ah, oh, this guy is going to be able to make his next movie the way he wants it and kind of stuff. I don't know. That's my two cents about Oscars and award shows. Um, well, uh, is there anything else you wanted to impart about Brazilian cinema? I don't know. Like I've, I've gone through this history. I love it. Uh-huh. I don't want to make it sound like I don't love it. I love it. Um, I can't actually like even recommend a bunch of, I don't even know what would be accessible yeah. for, uh, American listeners or something to watch from the six or seventy. I could, uh, I'll say, tell you what your friend sent you some care packages. I'll try and find some, oh, some cool. movies with, well, I need to get some with English subtitles. So, right. Yeah. That's, that's I'll send a, I'll send a care package over to, uh, um, are you going to, uh, <coughs> when you finish your documentary, are you going to uh, have someone subtitle it in English? I'll probably subtitle it in English myself. Uh, I haven't done it with the book yet. Cause I just, I spent a long time doing the book and I'm doing the movie and this book is huge. It's kind of long. Uh-huh. And I just felt like so lazy about it. like me personally doing it before the movie is out that, uh, I don't know. Hopefully one day it'll, it'll be available in English, yeah. but it's, it's, it's a lot of, uh, it's kind of this book. Candango is the uh, name of the prize of the Brazilian film for the name okay. of the trophy because those are the little gold yeah. guys on the cover yep, of the, the book little gold guys in the cover. They are the people who came to build Brasilia. So they are in like, 
Brazilian natives because they were uh-huh. born there and lived there. So there's a special name for these people, Candangos. Okay. And people who live in Brazil are Brasilienses. It's like right. someone from Brazilia. Like you have like a, what someone from LA would be like. An Angelino. Angelino. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, these guys aren't, but they, they deserved like a special category of uh, name since they came and they built the city. So that's it. That's Candango. And it's, it's pretty good because you can, you can say it easily in English. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's Candang, like Fandango. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for, uh, for stopping by. This has been, uh, this has been really, uh, illuminating. Um, <coughs> and, uh, best of luck on the documentary. Um, uh, real quick, you guys at home, thank you for listening. You can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email me at david at sorry, david at battleshipretention.com. You can email Tyler at tyler at battleshipretention.com. I'm on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Um, and where can people find you if they want to on, on, on Twitter or on the internet? Oh, uh, man. Uh, well, you can Facebook me at Lino Meredis. I don't know if you guys was like put in a show or something or, uh, well, uh, it'll like be the, the, name of the, the name of the episode. will have the spelling in it. So okay. you can look up and my email is Nino dot at gmail.com. Shoot me a message. I'll send you the book. It's only available in Portuguese. That's why I think I can afford this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. If you want it in Portuguese, if you want it in Portuguese. Um, well, thanks again for, for stopping by. This is yeah, it's great. great. I hope you enjoy your, the rest of your trip here in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's something funny about uh, people who like movies. I've found like I'm completely, like we're both complete strangers, uh-huh. but um, movies and uh, people who like to talk about them. We just sit down and talk for hours without uh, any yeah. problem. It's it's really kind of kind of curious. Um, I don't know many other. I haven't had the experience of many other kinds of interests that people just like randomly meet up and invite each other and talk. Uh, and are completely open to being like wrong about everything and, or not. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I, I wish there were more of that. I think some yeah. people aren't open to that, but, uh, that's what, that's what film Twitter is for. Um, <laughs> so, uh, thanks again. Thank you at home for listening and we'll get you next time. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 